Good afternoon, people. I hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It's 1648 in my highly military uh, <laughs> Volvo clock. And I'm heading home for a lovely weekend with the wife. And we have had our curtains installed. Uh, I'm not, not, not a morning person. And so when the uh, our, our bedroom seems to sort of have this... Uh, it's like the center of the sun in the morning. It's like, it's like being irradiated. So I'll be very happy to get the hyper-darkening cave blinds which we have uh, uh, put in, which actually will suck light from the neighborhood uh, around us as well as uh, keeping it dark in the bedroom. I can't wait. That way I, I get to ditch my pirate cap now, which I currently wear one of those quiffy little uh, sleeping uh, masks. Uh, so... <laughs> What do they call it in WKRP? This disco bondage headgear, which I think is a fantastic <laughs> phrase and uh, is actually quite appropriate if you realize just how many sparkles mine has. So I think it's time to talk about a topic I've been trying to get to for some time, uh, which is the UN. A fascinating topic. Uh, there's so much that you can find out about governments by looking at the United Nations. Because when you look at the United Nations, you're looking at government... Uh, in, its, in, in some ways in its purest form. And you also can look at the government without, or the, the form of the government in the UN without being bothered by any nationalistic feeling yourself. So let's say you were raised in the States or in Canada as a leftist or a rightist or a whatever, and you have some loyalty to soldiers or you have some loyalty to political parties or politicians or your sort of quote country or whatever. Well, if you want to really sort of find out what government looks like without all of the propaganda, then, assuming that you're not some sort of leftist loony who's heard nothing but propaganda about the UN, then the UN is a fascinating place to start. You get to study government without propaganda, government without emotional uh, hooks, and it really is quite a fascinating thing to see how it works. Now, I'm not going to go into much of a history of the UN because I'm sure everybody's aware of it, but... Um, the uh, United Nations founded in 1948, I think it was, or 1946, after the Second World War, right? Because the whole purpose of governments is to protect their citizens from harm. So after 40 million people got vaporized in World War II, what you need, of course, when governments have failed, is a government program to ensure that they're never going to fail again, right? So, so once you have the Department of Defense and in the United States sending all of its troops overseas to prop up dictatorships and invade non-nuclear countries, then, uh, and you have the Air Force and you have the air defense system and you have all that kind of stuff that completely fails on September 11th and America gets attacked, then what you need is a new government program called the Department of Homeland Security, which must uh, replace or, or shore up all of the failures of the previous government program. Of course, there's never any question that the previous government program should be dismantled as a failure, but uh, rather it's that uh, I've done a really bad job, so I should get an enormous rage, a raise and a new department, and then when I fail again, catastrophically causing the deaths of dozens or hundreds or thousands or in World War II, millions of people, then I should get uh, a bigger budget. That's really, I think, the way that uh, this this should work, uh, and it would be wonderful if it worked in the private sector. Uh, I just need to go in and shoot a couple of my co-workers in order to get to the top. I think that would be an excellent way to run the private sector, but unfortunately, 
that doesn't seem to be likely to happen because my co-workers can fight back, but uh, not so much the case with most of the people who died, the civilians in World War II. Uh, a little tough to shoot back at the invisible Lancaster bomber over Dresden in 1944. So, the United Nations is a government program that was put in place as a sop to the, to the population to help them uh, feel that something was being done to uh, make up for the catastrophe of not being protected by their governments in World War II. And this is, uh, it's standard, right? It's, it's inevitable, it's standard, there's no need for any surprise. As long as you have governments, you will have this exact same thing, absolute catastrophe, ca catastrophic failures of state policies followed by an expansion of state power. And we pay these people to kill us. And when they kill enough of us, or the degree to which they kill us, we give them more money, and we are um, surprised that they seem to be bad at their jobs. Well, it's a matter of incentive. If you're bad at your job in the free market, your income tends to go down. If you're bad at your job in the public sector, your income tends, not tends, inevitably goes up. And so it is, uh, to me, uh, quite understandable that government is going to grow. Now, we don't pay them like in terms of uh, we voluntarily sent them a check. I know it's taken from us at gunpoint, but most people will pay them lip service in terms of uh, how virtuous they are or how good their intentions are. So the government gets a whole bunch of people killed and then it uses that as an excuse to, to take more money, uh, get more people killed, and so on. And this only stopped when nuclear weapons came along and the possibility that a few of the people getting killed might actually be political leaders themselves wherein miraculously they found that they were capable of not declaring war, which to me is funny, but sad, but funny. So the United Nations, uh, founded in 19, uh, after the Second World War, uh, of course, for those who don't know, and there may be a few of you out there who don't know, uh, exactly the same thing happened, of course, after the First World War. After the First World War, you had the League of Nations, 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 which was a group of superheroes, no, wait, that was a different league. Uh, the League of Nations was exactly the same deal wherein you had all of these uh, countries getting together to ban war. You know, the Calabrian Pact in 1929, 27, I think it was. And you had all of these uh, declarations of peace and desire and goodwill and so on. Yet, sadly, inevitably, you get a war and wars get worse and worse until the politicians get threatened and then, uh, miraculously, uh, they, get, uh, they become non-existent. So the League of Nations uh, completely failed to uh, come up with any plan or any possibility of solving uh, the problem of growing Nazi aggression and so on. So the League of Nations, which, which sort of faded into non-existence in the mid to late 30s, was the previous government department that um, was supposed to put an end to, to international conflict and, and make the world wonderful. Uh, and uh, and you know, the war to end war, as the First World War was called, the war, war to make the world safe for democracy, is the second. Right? All, all of the omelets get broken. You never get uh, the egg, and everyone is keen to keep going until one of their own omelets gets broken, or one of their own eggs gets broken, and then they seem to be not so keen anymore. Uh, so, um, so the the United Nations is founded, and there's five uh, principal security members. Uh, Security Council members. So there's a Security Council in the United Nations, uh, and I'm going from memory here, so I've, I'm sorry if I get uh, some details wrong. This, this, is pr this is pretty close, though. But there are five original uh, security members. There was a 
uh, England, France, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, America, and I, I can't remember if it was China or some other damn country uh, at, the, at the turn of the at the end of the Second World War. And they have veto power, right? So you get all these countries that get in there, and they all get a vote. But the uh, the big uh, the victors in the uh, Second World War they get veto power, right? Just just like you and I have with the government, we have veto power, right? So as you know, like if the government passes a law that you don't agree with, you just get veto you get veto power as well. So basically, they just took that principle that uh, is embedded within the citizenry and applied it to this uh, democracy because they were using the argument for morality, which means that any time you feel that you want to be accepted from a majority rule, you get you get that right. Oh, wait, no, that's, sorry, that's not a right that was available, that is available to the population. But it's kind of funny when you think about it, right? So uh, England says, well, I don't mind joining the United Nations, but any time the majority votes in a way that I don't want, I want a veto right. I mean, that's what the British government says in order to join it because they want to be able to wriggle out from underneath the will of the majority, and yet they claim to be interested in democracy. It's it's funny, right? This is always the case that happens, right? The, 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 the mealy-mouthed, filthy, uh, filthy-tongued political statements of virtue are never, ever applicable to the leaders themselves, right? The, 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 sen- the sentiments that are put out, these treacly, revolting moral sentiments that are put out, they're strictly to shut us up. They're strictly for our consumption. They're never ever designed to be uh, inflicted upon the leaders. My God, no, heavens to Betsy. That's not the case at all. These, uh, these enclosures are for the sheep, not for the shepherds. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't get the same rights that they demand for themselves in order to participate in a democratic institution. Right? So they, they, uh, they need the veto power because they are afraid of the will of the majority and want to have the capacity to wriggle out of it, and yet they claim their legitimacy... Uh, as a government domestically comes from the will of the majority. <laughs> I mean, it's predictable, it's sad and funny, and of course, it's so obvious that uh, it's uh, inevitable that it's never going to be taught, right? Everything that is obvious can never be taught in state schools, right? And it takes a lot of work to turn people into dribbling idiots who uh, lash themselves when uh, the, the state whip is not around, or the state whip hand is not around to keep them whipping themselves at dinner parties and lacerating themselves when they're in chat rooms. It takes a lot of work to do that, right? The obvious can never be stated. Because, of course, the interesting question to ask the moment that you hear about that the, uh, the democracies wanted to have a security council wherein they got to veto the will of the majority is the question is, well, well why? Well, the majority might uh, vote them to do something that they don't want to do. Oh. So... And wouldn't that be the case for anybody? Why is it just those guys? Right? Anyway, so I'm sure you get I'm sure you get the point. I'll try not to labor it too much, although I'm sure I'll return to it a couple of dozen times more uh, before the end of the podcast. Depends on the traffic and uh, whether I come up with the, the whether the rolling array of topics that spirals through my brain <laughs> continues to pump its uh, energy out until the end of the podcast. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. So uh, maybe we'll say goodbye. Uh, maybe we'll just say uh, sayonara or whatever it is that is the phrase for goodbye for now, for, for the moment. So, the uh, United Nations uh, allows in uh, an, any, anybody, right? any, any thug who can uh, gain control of a significant segment of the population, uh, excluding the mafia, uh, gets to be uh, in the United Nations, right? So, it is a, um, uh, it is a gang of warlords, right? It is a, uh, 
It's like the five families sitting down. Uh, there's some who call themselves the nice guys and some who call themselves the not-so-nice guys, right? Like, <laughs> the governments are composed of um, people who've accidentally inherited an intelligently designed farm that they get to exploit and other people who were just out shooting up the livestock and having big feasts and then starving to death, right? So the, uh, the democracies, uh, which have some sort of uh, respect for property rights and some sort of respect for... Uh, human rights, they've inherited that, right? All of that stuff was founded despite governments. They've inherited that, and so they're sitting on a mother load of money, which is being generated by the free market, uh, a lot of wealth, and so they've, they've got this intelligent farm where they get to tax really productive citizens who are wealthy enough to still be motivated by what's left over after the tax man takes his, his uh, five-tenths or six-tenths or whatever. Or you could say one-half or three-fifths, if you're fluent in math. Whereas the uh, dictatorships... Uh, don't make as much money because they're farms. They didn't inherit such intelligently designed farms, and they also can't generate those farms largely because of foreign aid, as we've talked about in, a lot, uh, in the last podcast. But uh, they, uh, So you have the people who are pillaging the money based on the free market, and then you have the people who are, who are pillaging uh, the, the, the money from the people based on foreign aid and a pitiful amount of uh, internal trade based on the remnants of property rights and people's desire to put food in their mouth. So the, the, these are the two, uh, the, 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 the thugs from the rich neighborhood who, who run a sophisticated protection racket, uh, but still will break your legs if you don't pay. And then there's the thugs from the poor neighborhoods, like the third world, who just break kneecaps and sell the legs or something. I don't know, sell the blood. But uh, it's two, two sets of thugs, right, that run the free... Because it's always funny. You know, people talk about the United Nations. They're all, well, there are the free countries, which is great. And then, see, there are these nasty dictatorships, which, which are is not great, right? But that's, that's silly, right? I mean, you have rich thieves and you have poor thieves. But to say that the rich thieves are good is not getting the whole concept of thievery in my mind, but we don't have to go into that to a great deal of degree of detail now because I'm getting, I'm getting more uh, promptings from the spinning screensaver of new topics. So the uh, ostensible, of course, idea behind the United Nations, eh, promote international peace and, and uh, to, uh, to create a dialogue, right? They're all talking about creating a dialogue between the free countries and the dictatorships, right? So you'll let any uh, piss-ante, violent sociopath in... Uh, to the United Nations, and they get a seat, and they get a speech, and they get a say, and, you know, it's funny to me that, that, that any of them are considered good, but even if we do consider that the uh, the free market democracies, or the somewhat free market democracies, are better than the dictatorships, which of course they are, then what you have really is a global police force, right? That's the idea. So there's a global police force, uh, wherein the majority of people are are criminals, right? So you have a global police force comprised most mostly of criminals and to a small degree of relatively... Well, cops that are well bought off and therefore are going to be relatively peaceful. And then you have the cops who are just out there doing that shakedown thing, you know, really directly. And, of course, the idea that... You should get, you can get virtue from a majority of evil people is right, uh, silly. I mean, obviously, uh, if if you were to say that the problem with um, statist policing, uh, the reason why it's not so effective, is because we don't have enough uh, organized crime families 
on the uh, police board, you would find that to be a, a funny thing, right? Like a funny situation, right? So if you had a condo and there were a bunch of drug dealers uh, on the second floor or something, and you said, well, uh, the problem with our condo, uh, the reason that we want to get rid of the crime that these drug dealers uh, generate, so what we want to do is we want to get the drug dealers uh, on the condo board, right? And, and once we have that, then we can engage in a productive dialogue with the drug dealers and slowly you know, turn them around to being, I don't know, lawyers or accountants or something. So that, that's the funny part about the United Nations as well. Even if you accept that the democracies are you know, mildly moral or whatever, however you want to put it, and I'm not saying that I do, right? But they're they're less evil than you know Syria, right? Then you have a global government or a global police force dedicated to keeping the peace and to uh, bringing forth democracy and freedom around the world, and it's composed of sociopathic criminals, right? So you have the United States, the uh, UN Human Rights Commission has been chaired by governments of of such noble. Uh, hi, it's uh, Steph. Yes, uh, this is a <laughs> badly spliced together podcast. For some reason, I uh, got cut off in the car at about, uh, gosh, 12, 17 minutes and 50 seconds. So, um, sadly, I have to sort of continue. I was talking about Syria. I remember that, that the, um, the Human Rights Commission in the UN had been um, uh, chaired by companies as repulsive as, uh, countries as repulsive as Syria. And, boy, I had some great stuff after that. It was gold, baby. It was going to make me rich and famous. But I guess we'll have to live with what I can come up with as a substitute. And what was... uh, So what I was talking about was the uh, issue around the idea that if you have good... A minority of good people and a majority of bad people, is that a situation wherein the good people will permeate their virtue, will permeate all of the bad people and turn them into good people. Because it's one of the ideas behind the UN, right? So the UN in 1945, it starts with like 47 countries. Now there's like 191. And it's not like all of the guys who've joined are the best and noblest countries in the world. Now, to my mind, and I can't remember if I mentioned this before, so I'll keep it brief. To my mind, um, (laughs) the... um, the, the sort of so-called good uh, states are not good states, right? They're not uh, good states at all. They are uh, bad states, right? The, the leaders of Canada, I mean, the leaders of the United States and England and France and Germany, they're all bad guys. Uh, and the only difference, of course, is that they have a more productive economic system. And so they're able to take money in taxes uh, through a semi-pacifistic-looking mechanism, whereas the guys who are in the uh, the open, brutal dictatorships are sort of breaking kneecaps directly, uh, rather than just threatening to and taking money. So, but let's just take take it at face value that the democracies in the UN are good, and all of the dictatorships are bad. Well, of course, the idea that you're going to have a majority of bad people in a voting situation. And then you are going to have a minority of good people who are going to be able to change them, to turn them around, which is one of the ideas behind the UN, that uh, we, give, we open discussions with these other countries and we, 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 we engage in debate with them and we give them a voice and we hope to influence them to become better people and blah, 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 blah. 
Well, there are two kinds of uh, truth statements, I guess, in this life for me, right? That the first is, um, I guess, three if you count sort of axioms like I see a tree or something. But there's theories and then there's justifications, right? Theories and justifications are two very different things. So if, uh, if I steal your car and then when I get caught, I say, oh, I, I thought you wanted me to have it, right? That's a justification. And it's a theory if I think you want me to have your car, but I'm not sure. Then I go knock on your door and you say, hey, do you mind if I take your car? And you say, get off my property, you big chatty forehead bum guy. Well, then I've had a theory that says, I think you want me to have your car, and I've tested it, and lo and behold, I'm uh, uh, not, and uh, you don't want me to have your car. But a justification is you get caught, uh, or somebody asks you a question that you can't answer, and you just come up with some bullshit to shut them up, right? That's, that's the idea behind justification. So one of the uh, primo pieces of bullshit that comes up in the UN discussions is that, you know, you've got to keep a dialogue open with the evil countries, blah, blah, blah. We'll, we'll make them good guys by giving them a forum and, and reasoning with them and this and that and the other. And, of course, it's a, it's a wonderful theory. It's a wonderful theory. Now, I wouldn't say that the UN would be the place to start, though. If you had this kind of theory, like if you felt that a minority of good people could influence to a positive, in, in a positive way, a majority of bad people, then I wouldn't start at the UN. I mean, that's kind of tough. What I would do is I would start, I would start at home, right? I mean, so, so if you are someone who believes this is the case, then as I mentioned in a previous podcast in another area, what you could do or what you should do is you should uh, get a good friend of yours or two and, you know, as a minority of virtuous people, you should go down you know, pay, pay whatever money it takes to get this information. Go down to where the mob bosses are meeting, right? So go down to where the Gambinos and the Sopranos and all these sort of big fictional, non-fictional. Go down to where these people are meeting and sit down with them and talk them into being, um, being better people. And if you can do that, I think that's, that's fantastic. What a wonderful thing that if a minority of good people can influence where they have no power, a majority of bad people then I would say do that in sort of smaller and more controlled areas and slowly expand into sort of the whole planet. You know, start off a little bit smaller, a little bit more localized, and then move out, you know, once you've sort of cut your chops and just dealing with, you know, the, the, the crime families, dealing with uh, uh, the Hell's Angels, uh, dealing with uh, El Diablo, dealing with the Bloods and the Crips, uh, just go and, 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 and do that, right? Uh, the other thing, too, is that if you believe that a minority of good people can positively influence a majority of bad people, then prison obviously is a bad idea. What you need to do is you need to open up all the prison doors. Right? If you open up all the prison doors, then you're going to be doing very well because what you're going to do, you've still got a minor- minority of prison guards who are obviously good relative to the prisoners. So you don't need these bars and cages. Uh, you, what you need to do is just open it up and then the uh, the prison guards can use their uh, influence in their words and, you know, give the prisoners a forum and so on, and that will make everything uh, fine, right? So that that's how it would work in a prison situation. Um, similarly, if you're a politician and you support the United Nations because you think that a minority of good people can influence a majority of bad people where there's no particular power, then it would seem to me to make sense, like if you if you live in a condo and you're a politician who supports this or anyone, then what you need to do is you need to get a bunch of you know murderers and drug dealers and rapists on your condo board, and you need to be vastly outnumbered. 
by the people on your condo board who are, you know, obviously openly, violently evil. And then you can use your magical powers of persuasion to turn all of these bad people into good people, and then that would be a good reason to support something like the United Nations. Uh, so there's just ways that you can actually bring this about without having to do anything as risky and unverifiable as the United Nations. Now, another way to approach the question of the United Nations is to say, well, what uh, has actually occurred, right? It's the old thing, right? If you've got a theory, you want to you wanna verify it, right? Because when it comes to influencing ethics, right, a minority of good people who are in a crowd of a majority of evil people you could say, as, you, as is the case with the UN, with the minority of democracies and the majority of, of, of dictatorships, you could say, well, the good people are going to influence the bad people into becoming better. But it also does seem to be the case that the bad people might also influence the good people into becoming worse. Right? That's, that seems to me a possibility as well. And this is not something that, that you... You can, you can test this, right? You, you could actually just test this. It doesn't have to remain all that theoretical. So what you do is you say, okay, well, the UN was formed in 1945, and the Western governments were a certain size, and dictatorships, well, you know, they're, they're just kind of dictatorships, so they're just going to be uh, that way until the end of time. Uh, so, um, so the democracies, who are the minority of what is considered to be the virtuous states, are um, going into uh, this United Nations, and there are all these bad countries out there. And um, so the question is, who's going to influence who? Well, you can you can actually do this just just statistically, right? I mean, you just sort of say, okay, well, what what was the size of the Western governments in terms of percentage of GDP or the, um, uh, the size relative to the population? What was the debt, uh, and so on? In, in 1945, when the UN was founded, right? Because the whole point of these uh, virtuous Western governments is to influence the corrupt and brutal governments into being nice, uh, limited uh, governments that uh, respect property rights, respect human rights, and so on. Um, so you just measure this, right? If somebody has a theory that, that, uh, that uh, these, good, these good governments can influence the bad governments into becoming better, you just measure it, right? You say, well, what was the size of the government's uh, what was their respect for property rights in 1945, the good governments, Western governments? Uh, was there a war on drugs? Um, what were the educational standards like? What was the national debt like? And all these kinds of things, right? And, of course, that's how you test this stuff, right? So if the Western governments who fought this world war to restore freedom to their people and then ended up with governments, you know, two to three times the size... So if, if they're virtuous, right, then they, they should shrink their governments back down to at least where they were in the 1920s or 1930s, hopefully. And then they should stay small. And what should happen, of course, because of the benevolent influence of these good governments in a United Nations settings, is that the evil governments should begin to shrink. Right? I mean, that's, that's the idea, right? <laughs> if you're saying that the, the virtuous minority of governments are like, a, like an antibody that you inject into some sort of... Uh, uh, cellular system to fight uh, an infection or something, well, um, you, you kind of want to find out if it's actually fighting that infection, right? Because if it joins forces and then both of them start attacking you, like the antibody and the virus, then that's not, not good, right? That wouldn't be much of a proof. Now, of course, the actual results of this 
particular experiment are pretty disastrous, right? I mean, you have massively increased governmental sizes in the Western governments, a complete disregard for the fundamental uh, property rights that, that are required or innate to human life. You have uh, incarceration of millions of people. You have uh, diminishing freedoms. You have en enslaved public media. And you have, I mean, I, I, the list, could, you, you know the list, right? So I'm going to go into this. But that's the way that you would look at this kind of idea and see, is it true or not? I mean, people just say stuff to shut you up. Well, you know, we've got to have a dialogue with the evil dictators, whatever, right? I and mean, don't even call them evil, right? You have to have a dialogue with the dictators. And you say, why? It's, oh, so we can help them become better countries and so on. Well, it's testable, right? Now the UN's been around for you know, 60 years. or So it's testable. You say, well, who's influenced whom, right? I mean, have the evil countries become less evil and have the good countries retained their benevolence or become even better? No, of course not. I mean, the good countries have become, sort of, quote, good countries, have become progressively more dictatorial. And it's not like the dictatorships have vanished from the world. And so this is just the kind of thing where you you just need to ask the questions. You know, what's the proof? I'll tell you one other thing that I find quite impressive about the theory behind the United Nations. And this is, I mean, this is really impressive to me because it speaks to the question of confidence. And confidence is a very interesting thing, right? So if you see a bunch of people who are lined up to start a race, right? So they, they're lined up and there's, it's a... It's a 100-meter dash, let's say, and it's for a you know, gold medal and groupies and money and so on. Well, so you, you're sort of panning down the line of people, and there's you know a lean guy here, lean guy here, lean guy here, and there's another lean guy who's got a baby elephant on his back. I would say that if you see an Olympic race where one guy is willing to do the race with a baby elephant on his back, that guy's got some confidence. That guy is an unbelievably good runner because not only is he willing to compete at the Olympic level with the best runners, but he's willing to do it with a baby elephant strapped to his back. You know, and then you sort of flip the channel and you see a downhill skier who's taken a run at a downhill ski jump with three pianos strapped to his back or something. I mean, you just know that's somebody who's got some real uh, ability and some real confidence in what they're doing, right? Now, the reason that this is relevant to the United Nations is that the United Nations funds dictatorships and funds dictators. And also, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the blue helmets, you know, the guys who wander around the world uh, not able to shoot back at anyone and get killed or tortured or, you know, whatever, uh, that the the governments are paid to supply those guys, right? So if you're... Syria, right? And, and you, you know, you can go to the UN, you say, I've got 500 troops that I will send out on UN peacekeeping missions. Well, the UN will pay you as the head of government to supply those troops. So what does that mean? It means that these troops are conscripted, uh, or they're, you know, given some pittance based on what's left over. But basically, it's a slave army, right? I mean, this is the, the UN peacekeeping force is a slave army. And... So what happens in the UN is you get lots of subsidies, lots of loans and tie-ins with the IMF and all this kind of stuff, right? And loans that are supposedly loans, but then Bono forgets that he's only good at singing and convinces everyone to not have to pay them back. And so this is the amazing thing about the United Nations, which is not only are the good countries supposed to be so amazing in their ability to communicate 
the benefits of virtue so deeply wise and, and humane that they can turn back the tide of evil, that they can change people's minds who've spent their whole life being sociopaths and grinding their population into the dust. They can change these people's minds with the sheer force of their personality or their eloquence. They can turn, uh, they can turn evil into, into virtue. It's amazing. It's a fantastic feat. Even if you could just do it with no, um, no handicaps, that would be something that would be amazing, something that you would just look at and be fascinated by. But these guys are so confident at the UN, at their ability to turn this shit into gold, to turn these, these human devils into angels, that not only are they going to do it through the force of their eloquence and the force of their personality, but they're going to do it while paying these guys a lot of money to be evil. That, my friends, is rhetorical confidence that you can just... I mean, you've got to put a welding goggle on. Welding goggles on when you look at that kind of self-confidence. That's, I'd never have that in a million years. You've got to hand it to these UN guys, though. They're sitting uh, in a room surrounded by brutal dictatorships. And the more brutal the dictatorship, the more money they get paid through the UN, the more they're willing to enslave people and send them out as soldiers in these futile UN interventions, the more they get paid. So not only are they willing to take on that they can change people just through their words, they're even willing to give themselves the additional handicap of paying them to be evil and then trying to talk them into being good. I mean, that's, that's having some gumption. That's having some rhetorical cojones. You've got to admire that. It'd be like you and I go off to the crime families of New York, the big meeting where the, the heads of the mafia sit down to do their business, and not only do we wander in there like Billy Crystal, but we wander in there, not only are we going to turn them into good people by sheer force of their personality, but we're going to also bribe them to continue to be bad people. So the more people that they've whacked, the, the worse their, uh, the, 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 the civilian population that these crime families play on, uh, prey on, the poorer and more wretched they are, the more money we're going to give them. Because it's just not a challenge to turn evil people into good people unless there's a real handicap for you. It's, it's not a challenge, right? It's like, it's like trying to play a table tennis with a two-year-old, right? It's not a challenge. You've got to make it challenging. So the UN directly pays these murderers on the number of murders, because the UN pays people uh, based on uh, poverty, and poverty is a result of violence. So the UN is paying these murderers to be murderers, and then it's expected that the force of rhetoric, so innately powerful within the representatives of the, quote, free nations, so amazing that they'll just turn around and be, uh, be great guys. Well, I just, I think that's amazing. I can't wait for that experiment to pay off. It seems to be taking, well... Uh, a little bit of time, but I have every, every faith, every faith that it's, it's just around the corner that these guys are going to um, pull, pull off this, this stuff. And then there's, you know, last but not least, there's the, the issue of uh, UN corruption. It's not, not, uh, not a slight topic at all. I mean, just look at, look at this oil for food program, right? So um, a surtax is put on the oil that Saddam has. So first of all, he's not allowed to sell oil, and then everyone realizes that everyone's dying, and they use this as a pretext, so... They say that uh, we're going to put a surtax on the oil that Saddam Hussein sells, and then we're going to tender 
this surtax money out for people to deliver humanitarian aid back to um, back to Saddam Hussein. No problem with that. This is not a disaster in the making at all. That you're going to tax a dictator, and then you're going to pay people to supply humanitarian goods back to that dictator, and he's then going to hand it over to his uh, civilian population. Right? I mean, <laughs> no problem. I mean, I went with even a I went with a business plan like that to a bunch of investors. They they would let me only they would let me finish only for the hilarity of what it is that I was proposing. But um, 100, uh, about $100 billion of, of goods went through this particular program. Uh, almost $2 billion was siphoned off, uh, just going to, to nowhere. It was like 22 different countries, countries incorporated in like 40 or 50, companies incorporated in 40 or 50 different, um, different countries. Right? This is a pretty wide scam. I think Kofi Annan's son was, was involved in this. He's the Secretary General. And... The fascinating thing is some people will say, well, that's only 2% of the total to $1.8 billion, I think it was, was siphoned off of this $100 billion program. But what I want to know is, is that if $100 billion of, or $98.2 billion of humanitarian aid was, I guess, passed along to Saddam Hussein and got to the population through this program, why on earth did half a million Iraqi children die in the 1990s for lack of exactly this stuff, right, the medicines and foods and so, infant bottle formula and so on. Because the truth of the matter is none of that stuff got to the poor, right? I mean, none of it got to the people who needed it. Not one shred, unless maybe it fell uh, off the truck on the way to the eBay distribution center where Saddam Hussein had set up his uh, cut-rate humanitarian aid sell-off store. Because there's not one single chance in hell that these people got a hold of any of this stuff. So what happened? Well, basically, uh, Saddam Hussein sold a bunch of oil. The oil price went up because there was a surtax on it. And a bunch of people took this surtax uh, and pocketed it and then maybe delivered some goods to Saddam Hussein, who then sold it. And uh, none of it reached... I mean, it's a $100 billion boondoggle. And this is the kind of stuff that the UN... Uh, that the UN does. It's supposed to be 29,000 people working at the UN, but like two agencies come up with 40,000. They have no clue what their budget is. It's in the trillions, for sure. They have no clue what their budget is, no accountability, no responsibility whatsoever. And it is really the ultimate synthesis, or it's a super form of government. It is, it is government without nationalism, which means that you don't even have the restraint of patriotic outrage over high taxes or inefficiency and so on. It really is. It's like government on the dark side of the moon. Uh, it is uh, completely and, and hideously uh, corrupt. And uh, it's, it's full of the, exactly the same kind of moral insanity that you would expect from self-justice. It's people who justify the transfer of trillions of dollars. And, of course, it's become completely obsessed with, with the Israeli uh, a Palestinian conflict, right? I mean, there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, the Muslim world likes it as a, a lightning rod to to keep their own population riled up and ineffective by getting them angry at Israel rather than their own political masters. There's lots of um, Christians, particularly in America, who think that Israel needs to stay because it's part of the, the, the apocalypse that's coming, requires that Israel exist, and so there's lots of support in in uh, for this kind of stuff in, in the UN. But uh, it's nothing but resolutions about how evil the West is and, and how evil Israel is and, and, and nothing at all, of course, about how 
uh, evil the uh, the Muslim dictatorships are, of course, of course they're the majority, right? So, or at least they can swing enough of a majority to get this stuff through. So it's really a farce. I mean, it's a complete farce, just as you would expect from any kind of government program where there's no criteria for success, no voluntary participation. Uh, it does give a lot of credibility to to dictatorships, right? I mean, to give them a place to speak, right? And of course, it did nothing to free the Soviet Union. It did nothing to free China. Uh, you, everybody's worried about what happens in, in Rwanda and, and Darfur. Uh, these things are all completely evil. Uh, but if you traced it back, though, a lot of these guys bought the military equipments used to to oppress these people from foreign aid or from UN donations or, or loans or whatever. I mean, so, uh, you know, now we have to rush in to solve the kinds of problems that governments start and, you know, innocent people who had nothing to do with it get killed and those who had a lot to do with it retire to the Cayman Islands with all their millions. It's a standard story about about this kind of stuff. But you didn't notice that the UN did a whole lot when, say, 40 million Russians were dying in concentration camps. You'll notice that the UN didn't do a whole lot when 20 million Chinese people were being starved to death by Mao. And now, of course, there's all this hue and cry about uh, what the UN needs to do. That needs to be a rapid response team, right? They always need a new government program to solve the problems caused by the last government program. And so, uh, obviously, my... Uh, my view of the UN is that it's not uh, at all a moral institution, of course, funded by force and full of lies and moral falsehoods. But even the very idea of the UN is is morally false uh, at its very core, that you have uh, a democracy of uh, evil, right? I mean, <laughs> the democracy where the majority of the countries are uh, run by sociopathic dictators and that you have uh, the, the, uh, the moral sort of, quote, legitimacy of the UN is dragging down countries which possessed some degree of virtue or governments which relative to the dictatorships possess some degree of or some lack of evil relative to the dictatorships being dragged down into the sinkhole of evil, which is the case with all moral compromises, that whenever you make a moral compromise, um, the bad guys uh, make out like bandits and the good guys uh, die like dogs. So, uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope this is enjoyable for you. Um, Got to tell you, I had this, uh, this article published on uh, Lou Rockwell and the International Society for Individual Liberty uh, cites today, and it's, it's quite a shocker to me because uh, it's called uh, it's called market anarchism. Uh, sorry, market anarchists. Are you guys uh, crazy uh, or just nuts? And it's quite shocking to me because every single email is positive. Like every single email, and this is amazing. Every time I write an article, I get like fifty percent attaboys and fifty percent uh, flamethrowers. And uh, so this has been uh, completely positive, quite remarkable. Um, I, I, I wish I knew what I was doing, because um, then, then I'd do it again. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, thanks to everyone on the board who helped uh, provide feedback to this article. I hugely, I hugely appreciate it, of course, uh, and I'm sure it wouldn't be uh, nearly as good without the feedback from people. So uh, I, th- I thank you very much for that. Um, I look forward to donations this weekend to keep me pumped about what it is that I'm doing. And thanks so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon.